What is going on, everybody? My name is Gabe. And I'm Matt. And this is the Tentacle Bob Podcast. And today we're going to be bringing you something that's been kind of anticipated here on the podcast. Uh, we're going to be we're going to be jumping into something. Matt, what are we jumping into today? So today, as uh, you had said, has hi- been highly anticipated here on the podcast. It's the new Spirit Box record titled Eternal Blue, which just dropped on September 17th of 2021 through Rise Records. Um, who is Spirit Box? Spirit Box is comprised of Courtney LaPlante on vocals, Mike Stringer on guitar, and Bill Crook on bass. Um, dude, this record's beautiful. There's also Zev Rose on drums, who is a recent addition. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure that he was actually named uh, an official member. He was, yeah. Ryan Lurk had left early last year. Okay. And then... Zev Rose is official now. Apparently. Okay, perfect. So that's that's information I didn't have, so I'm glad that you were able to grab that. Um, but let's jump into first impressions. Like I said, man, this record's beautiful. Yeah, I, uh, I overall, I like this album a lot more than I anticipated. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is a great representation of Spearbox, and honestly, it, it, it's hard for me to recognize that this is their debut album. Like, they've had EPs and singles released beforehand, and... It always just felt like they've been around a lot longer than they really have mm-hmm. been. But yeah, like the, this is their first full-length album, and that, that just feels weird. But Courtney's vocals never failed to impress, and a deeper look at the instrumentals made them something to be really significantly appreciated as well. Yeah, absolutely. And um, jumping, you know, kind of jumping in right into the musical review is really this record ebb and flows like you would expect from a movie. You get the sad, you get the mad, the happy, and everything in between. Um, really, we get a guitar player that isn't afraid to show off various styles ranging from metalcore, deathcore, groove, and gent styles within his guitar playing uh, with a bassist that complements it really well by thickening up any of the chugging to be even more in your face than it already is. And then these two really make that heavy stuff heavy, but they know when and where to put things in the slower material that just works. Then throw on top of it a vocalist with so much vocal capability that's unfair and it, you just get masterpieces, man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Musically, the whole album is super tight. It's super heavy, and it's really groovy throughout the whole thing. The band doesn't shy away from synth and electronic elements as well, and it really ties really well in over with the uh, the overall vibe that the band is going for. Mm -hmm. And the nice thing, too, is... Any of the sections of the, of the songs is sometimes when you listen to them is the song feels like it's missing something. Nothing feels like it's missing from these songs. Everything feels full. It feels complete. And it, it just feels like there's nothing that's left to be desired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the only thing that really did le- leave anything to be desired was the lyrics on the album. Uh, lyrically, the each of the songs on the album had a general narrative for each of them. Uh, but in her Apple Music interview, Courtney stated that when they write these songs, they really write for the mood rather than the lyrical content, and mm-hmm. that's reflected in the writing on these on this record. Uh, it just felt like sometimes they were throwing in words to throw in words mm-hmm. instead of being a more cohesive storyline or or something like that. It was really just all about the feeling. Yeah, and I kind of um, I really find that to be reminiscent of the writing from Randy from Lamb of God, where it's it mm-hmm. very it follows a narrative a little bit better, but it takes a little bit to really understand the narrative. You're trying to break it down line by line, but once you get through a decent way th- a decent way through the song is that's when you the, the picture starts to be painted and you start understanding, okay, this is what the narrative is, and things start kind of clicking at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, before we jump into the track-by-track breakdown, we're going to go ahead and uh, take a look at the album art here real quick. 
Uh, Matt, why don't you go ahead and tell us about the album art? Yeah, so the album art is, design-wise, is it looks like various shades of blue paint moved around, and it makes it look somewhat like Waves of the Ocean. Um, we do get the band's name up in the upper, uh, upper left-hand corner, and we get some various wording. Um, I'm not sure what the what it is down on the bottom right corner. It's an extremely simple album cover, um, and I don't really feel like it conveys what to expect with this record. It's very minimalist. There's not a whole lot there to really try and examine. Yeah, it gave me um, kind of similar vibes that like Load and Reload did for Metallica. Yeah. Uh, like for those album covers, just not exactly the same way that those were made. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I had the same thing like, it doesn't really describe like if I were to pick up this album in a store, uh, I wouldn't know what to expect when I put this uh, put this in the CD player or uh, download it or whatever mm -hmm. it is that I do. Um, but after listening to the album, it does give off a good vibe, for lack of a better term, to describe the album. Mm -hmm. um, it's cool. That that's really it. And in response to the uh, the writing that's in the lower corner that you mentioned, um, that's just like the uh, copywriting, Rise Records, all that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. That's awesome. So, yeah, that makes sense. And it's kind of cool seeing that on the front of the record as opposed to typically what you would see in the back or even in the, the little booklet that's typically provided with albums. Yeah, I mean, I'm okay with it not being there on the front just because eh, it's a heck with the record labels. They're all too money-greedy anyway. <laughs> can't, can't argue with that. So right now, what we'll do is we'll jump into the track-by-track track breakdown, and we'll jump right into the opening song, which is titled Sun Killer. What are your thoughts on this one? Uh, yeah, starting off super dark and ethereal, like this song is a great tone setter for the album. It's really a song that builds like a like a show intro would be, mm -hmm. um, or reminiscent of like a Do You Dream of Armageddon by, the, uh, by Architects when we had reviewed that record. Yep. Um, then at the end of the song, it just drops into this breakdown and lets it all out and gives no time for the listener to strap in before they take off. Yeah. Like th this song is super cool. Yeah, no, th this is a really good one. And the, the steady, very bassy beat, um, that opens this one up is it really helps with that build. And we start, we get the band coming in and it, it's, you can definitely tell that something's coming. You just don't know when, and it definitely feels like they're, they're not putting everything out just yet. It, it's kind of teasing that with that. Um, verse two, that's where the band really picks it up. And again, the, the song closes out going balls out and seamlessly transitions into the next song titled Hurt You. Uh, this song wastes no time. Uh, really, at the, the time this song dropped, I was pretty put off. But in the context of the entire record is I've come to like it a lot more. Retreated a little bit more with the like generic metalcore song structure. But Mike's guitar playing adds a little bit of a jet style to the track. The breakdown grooves, and they even do the thing where they slow it down and just... Mm, it's good stuff. Yeah, this song comes through harder than a Kool-Aid man through a wall. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's honestly one of, if not my favorite track on the album, uh, and it's easily a contender for the heaviest breakdown of the year. Like It was just it's, stupid heavy, it's and then they slapping. bring it back in at the end, and it's just mm, so good. Yeah, it, it's... Ooh. Yeah, th this one definitely, I, I came to, like I said, I've come to grow, like a lot more. Yeah. Lyrically, the, the song is about the toxicity of a codependent relationship. Mm -hmm. um, this was one of the more straightforward songs, lyrically speaking, without just kind of throwing in a lot of random stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but there isn't a lot of 
lot of that instance on the album, unfortunately. Yeah. And speaking of one of those things, we jump into the next song, which it also just seamlessly flows into, called Yellow Jacket, which is featuring Sam Carter of Architects. Um, yeah, it, I'd say this is probably the most experimental song on the record. Mm-hmm. It has a very interesting uh, vibe to it. Overall, I like it. Um, Courtney's screams sound nearly inhuman, and Sam's features uh, fits really well on this song. Uh, according to LaPlante, this song was tuned to double drop D, so that just makes it stupid heavy. And uh, the breakdown in this one is just disgusting as well. Yeah, it, it, it 100% is. Um, this is just another song that spares no necks. We get an electronic beat under Courtney's spoken word before hitting some of the thickest riffage in metalcore. And the the song's great. Sam's vocals on this one are actually, I, I found to be a really cool addition. But I feel like there's a, a lack of balance between his voice and Courtney's. And it, I don't know if it was a situation where it's just... Sam Carter took over vocals really once his feature started, and then Courtney just came in every once in a while, or the two of them were layered. Um, and if it was a s- situation where the two of them were layered, it just might have been a, a mixing error. Uh, but really, that being said, I still think that the feature and Sam being the one that was brought on was actually a really good addition, even though I'm not the biggest fan of his voice personally. We can all be wrong at some point. Uh, (laughs) Then we jump into the next song, The Summit. Matt, why don't you kick us off on this one? So this is where we start to begin a descent into a slower portion of the record. And literally, I find this to be just Taylor LaPlante. Um, It's very (laughs) much a Taylor Swift. like It very much sounds like a Taylor Swift song, but Courtney's just singing it in, in Taylor Swift's place. The it's pretty much like I said, just a Taylor Swift song with a metalcore band behind her. Courtney continues to show what she's capable to do with her clean vocals and absolutely kills it. The portion with her screaming vocals, uh, actually put layered under her cleans, adds a really fitting contrast that just adds a little bit of little bit of spice really to the song that just gives it just a little something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you already mentioned it, but there there's a lot of pop influence in this song. Mm-hmm. Uh, according to her Apple Music interview that she had done, uh, she took a lot of inspiration vocally from The Weeknd and Charlie XCX in like her vocal runs and, and styles that she okay. does. And uh, that, that's definitely prevalent. Like I didn't really recognize that at first, but on reading that and then listening to the song, it really kind of brought it up. Like, oh yeah, that actually is what she's doing. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was kind of cool, and um, I admire it from that aspect. And uh, w- w- once again, I'm in awe of her vocal capability, back and forth. Um, She also states that this song was a way for them to kind of genre bend with combining two things that don't make sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, She said that she has this kind of image in her head of a genre that is yet to be discovered that just combines things that don't make sense. Yeah. And while I'm pretty sure that there's something out there for everything now, I'm sure there's some way somebody's going to break it. But this is kind of just one of those ways where it's it's blending pop and metal, which are usually two things that don't go well together. Right. And it's if it ever does get done is... Sometimes it's done right, sometimes it's done terribly, but there you know there, it's definitely ground that's being tread quite a bit recently and probably within the last 5 years yeah, in metalcore for there, sure. There, there there's definitely been a lot of those walls breaking down into where we're seeing a lot more of a kind of that fluidity between them. Mm-hmm. And so a band or an artist can be both pop and metal. I mean like a perfect example would be Poppy. Yeah. Like she wrote a metal record and honestly it wasn't terrible no it wasn't i was quite surprised in comparison with her previous work which wasn't metal whatsoever like 
it, it, it's just kind of one of those things where people need to be a little bit more open-minded about that anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's almost coming to a point where we're beginning to take artists at value at, at uh, albums instead of as an artist mm-hmm. discography as a whole. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I can agree with that. So the next song that we get to is Secret Garden. And the I this song's really an interesting one stylistically. It's it took a little bit of time for me after the single drop to get into it, but I've come to really enjoy the song. Uh, we get a bass that really comes out on this one, and you just hear it just going off in the verses. Bill shows off what he can do and gets to be pushed forward, which you don't get to see a lot of metal and rock these days. Instrumentals get heavy, but they never feel out of place. Yeah, the, the like you said, the bass on this song is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill just takes it to another level, and I'm only sad by the fact that he doesn't really do it on the rest of the record. Right. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, like it, it's done really well. I, I like the way that they pushed him towards, towards the front. This song also has one of the catchiest choruses on the album, for sure. Yeah. And front to back, this song's honestly a banger. Yeah, I, I, I really yeah. like this song. Yeah, no, I, I, I've definitely, like I said, I've definitely come to really like this one. And having this be one of the singles that they pushed out was a really good way to kind of show people that were anticipating this record a little bit of what to expect with what's coming out. And I feel like it's a good representation as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like anybody who came in expecting it to all be songs like Holy Roller, mm-hmm. which we'll get to here in a bit, like you are going to be disappointed because it's not just Courtney and Devin or uh, Michael doing I Wrestled a Bear once again. It's mm-hmm. it's very different than that. And I feel like things like uh, Hurt You and Secret Garden and stuff like that are a little bit better representations of that. Right. So next up, we do have the song Silk in the Strings. What you got? Oh, we bring back the heavy in this one. We bring it back hard. Hey, remember <laughs> that break you got for your neck? It's back. Throw it out. Throw, <laughs> throw out that rest, dog. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, again, in our Apple Music interview, Courtney stated that the band writes the music first and writes the lyrics and vocal parts to complement it. With this song, she stated that she tried to take like a Wu Tang Clan approach to it, and while obviously like she's not rapping or anything like that, like it's okay. um, the the way that she described it is that uh, Michael came to her with uh, the riff that he had written, and it's a lot more of a bouncy riff and yeah. kind of like how to do that in metal vocals and, mm-hmm. and that's not really something that you do do unless it's something more like new metal right where then that's where a lot of those hip-hop influences come into play and so while she's not rapping and she doesn't feel like she's capable of rapping that's kind of where she began pulling some of the vocal influences from um th- this song is for the most part entirely screaming if i'm not mistaken yeah and her delivery was just disgusting yeah I-, I loved it the um the, the song honestly sounds like it's a mix between an Acacia Strain song and a Widowmaker song, and I'm here for it. Yeah. No, the the opening riff on this one's absolutely disgusting. Courtney's screaming vocals on this one just go off. And we really get to see a lot more of her screaming vocal range, which we hadn't really seen up to this point. Uh, dynamics on this song are absolutely great, too. We go from the band just hitting you with a sledgehammer. We get portions for where the bros want to get into the pit. We get the brute sections to breathe. And then we get builds that just really prepare you for the absolute destruction of venues everywhere. This is an absolute quality track, and we're talking like top shelf liquor quality. Mm-hmm. It's Absolutely. an absolute banger. Uh, what's not top shelf liquor quality is Holy Roller. I hate this song. 
You what? I hate this song. Why would you possibly hate this song? I have heard it so much. The di- so compared to Silk and the Strings is the dynamics on this one are so it, it it's too much of the same thing throughout the entire song. Uh, we get the band who brings the heavy, and it feels like you're getting smacked in the chest with a bat in certain parts. Courtney gets to show off uh, some more of her vocal capabilities, and we actually see her, I think, going the lowest that she does with her growls. But the song as a whole just... It's not good. So, folks, we're going to be opening up that uh, that wreck here to uh, get a new new member on the podcast because Matt clearly is just I, I don't know and he's not with it anymore. Uh, th- yeah, th- th- this is the other song that's a contender for my favorite song on the record, but between this one and Hurt You, like this song slaps, and I don't know where you're getting off. <laughs> nope. C- Courtney does what she does best here, and the rest of the band follows suit in delivering a masterpiece, Matt masterpiece so we're gonna go into something that's actually a masterpiece. so we're not actually yet because i'm not done with this one here okay (laughs) um this song lyrically is also another like um among my favorites it's really kind of like about cult leaders Mm -hmm. and like how think people like jim jones for example are a lot scarier than songs that are like featuring violence or cutting somebody's head off right which I get that. That's cool. I, I appreciate the different approach, and that's why this song is fantastic, Matt. You can go into Eternal Blue now. Well, the next song, titled into Eternal Blue, is extremely reminiscent in, of pop and the vocal delivery, and Courtney really brings her very haunting yet extremely vulnerable vocal tone to the song. The rest of the band instrumentally brings some of that heavy groove underneath, but again, it never makes the f- the song feel wrong. Really nasty breakdown in the end. That's just if it's not if it's wrong, I don't want to be right, man. You're already not right because if you take on Holy Roller, okay, so you like <laughs> j- just resign. I am the actually fact that you're wrong. I am not the only person that has actually come to hate Holy Roller. Okay, then you and somebody else are wrong. <laughs> like that, that, that's an easy that, that that's easy to tell there. I think, I think there's going to be hands up. thrown after this episode. You get me all worked <laughs> up, man. <sighs> yeah, the for being the title track, it's not really my favorite song on the record, but it mm-hmm. fits well. Um, they they definitely dig their heels into the synth elements on the and the use of it throughout this song was done extremely well. We also get a small solo enveloped in this super groovy syncopated breakdown mm-hmm. that is super tasteful, and I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah, no, I, I definitely caught that with the, the listen through we actually uh, had before that we started recording, and I, I kind of caught that, and I was like, ooh, ooh, I like that. That's nice. Very nice. It was quite delicious. Tasty, you might say. Tasteful. Very tasteful. Now, before we start thinking about other words to describe delicious things, we're going to jump right into We Live in a Strange World. What are your thoughts on this one? Um, This song's really not for me. Uh, I appreciate its place on the album, and it definitely picks up and builds through to the end. I just I don't really have much to say on it. It's just not really for me. Okay. So this song made me think of very much in the first probably half of the song is it very much made, reminded me of a pop artist crossing over with an EDM song. And it 
listen to the beats. It's super, uh, very reminiscent of the kind of synthy vibes that we've been hearing throughout the record. And then just listen to the chorus too. It seems very empty behind Courtney, but there's just a little bit there. So that way it doesn't feel completely hollow. We're treated again to spirit box doing spirit box things from chorus two forward with the third chorus just being just mm, mm-hmm. top shelf. Absolutely. So following up with that song is we have Halcyon. I don't know what it is about this one, but it just hits different. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is either for you, man. <laughs> but like Courtney's voice up to this point, the most vulnerable that we've seen on the record, and it's honestly on the verge of serene until her screaming starts and oh, lordy lord. Yeah, yeah so like this song, it's neat in composition. It's Michael's favorite song on the record. She really explores her vocal range. It's a great addition to the album post uh we live in a strange world. Like overall, like the song is just kind of like a nice song to listen to. Mm-hmm. And then it drops into the, the outro and just demolishes anything in its way before yeah. going in a circle with me. Mm-hmm. And I just, I really wasn't ready for it. And that, that, yeah, that breakdown at the end was unreal. And I, I think that's probably part of the reason is because we get such a strong contrast is it's almost whiplash, but it's, it's well done. And it, because of that shock factor, I think that should that just adds a little bit extra to that song. I wasn't ready. I I I, be- I believe that. <laughs> Following up, as you had just said, is "Circle with Me," and this for sure is my favorite song by this band, without a doubt. I, I can respect that. I respect it infinitely more times than I respect your take on "Holy Roller." <laughs> <laughs> But what are your thoughts on this one before I start just losing my marbles? Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, th- th- it's another great song on the record. Uh, I feel like this would come in at number three for me. Okay. Uh, it slowly leads in before coming in with just a straight bludgeoning riff, and it is s- stupid amounts of heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, the bridge is super heavy again. The breakdown is relentless. The non-screaming parts in this song give off kind of like a really strong Evanescence vibe for me. Uh, and the final ending to this song is just, again, otherworldly amounts of heavy. heavy. Yep. Yeah, so this the composition for this song reminds me very much of Rule of Nines, uh, mm-hmm. which was honestly my favorite song before Circle With Me had dropped. But really what it does is this song seems to take Rule of Nines to 11. Courtney... <laughs> it's funny because it's the 11th track on their album, too. <laughs> oh, my Lord. That's actually hilarious. So the the choruses really just soar, and it allows Courtney an opportunity to cut loose while Mike and Bill provide a simple back uh, or a simple kind of riff to back it up and really just builds on that epicness to it. The main riff on this is fantastic. Breakdown absolutely slaps, and the guitar scrapes Mike does add that extra flavor. Three words for that third chorus. Slay it, queen. So anyway, we go into the final track of the album, Constance. Uh, Favorite song on the album. 100%. You just said that about a circle with me. That's my favorite song by the band. For the record, it's got to be Constance. 
Don't think about it too much. I can see the steam coming out your I, ears, I fam. I just, I don't... You know what, Matt? I was honestly worried going into this record that you were going to hate it uh, just because you had had so much hype for this. So I'm glad that you don't hate it, but I just, I, I'm, I'm done trying to understand your reasoning. You hate Holy Roller. You love Circle With Me, but you love Constance more, but only in this instance. Anyway, Constance, they close <laughs> off with the previous release single. Named after Courtney's late grandmother, the song was always meant to be the final song, according to Courtney. Um, there's still a decent amount of heavy in this song, and it feels like a reasonable closer to the album. Mm-hmm. I like it. It's not my favorite, but I like it. So that's where you're wrong. So How am I wrong about my own opinion of it? You're wrong for entirely different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there are hands getting thrown today, boys. <laughs> um, but no, this song is straight up feels or reels. Uh, really a couple of the first listens to this song I literally I almost cried it, it's just so much of that feels or reels the song hits really just hits with a sledgehammer uh, it really the most vocal sorry let me start that sentence over this vocal delivery by Courtney is the most vulnerable that she has sounded with spirit box while adding a very serene tone that we've heard. And it also adds just that really haunting kind of almost feels like there's just a a weight on your shoulders that it's discomfort. There's a discomfort to it. The, there are portions where we get to hear Mike really getting into it and the guitar, which adds the extra dimension to the song while never becoming distracting from anything else. The breakdown at the end surprised me on the initial listen to, and it just adds this chaotic element that makes you feel like you're swirling into madness before closing into this bone-chilling piano that still gives me goosebumps to this day. And no ma- And I've listened to this song I don't know how many times. I'm pretty sure my confusion is audible through this podcast. <laughs> I think I can hear it too. Uh, yeah, you know what? That's Eternal Blue by Spirit Box. <laughs> so now we're going to go ahead and jump into our rating of the album. We rate things on a scale of one to eight tentacles because we're the Tentacle Bot podcast and we're all about octopi and, and, and stuff and things. Matt, on a scale of one to eight, where are you at? 7.5. Fine. Fine. Great. Phineas, you got a contender. Do you have anything else? No. All right, cool. Yeah, this is good. <laughs> this one's going to be a seven for me. Okay. Like, I, I thought the album was great. There, There's still things that really weren't necessarily for me, and I'm okay with that. Like, the, I everything that I don't like about the album is really just a personal difference. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that I would expect the band to change because then at that point I'm just making them change into something that I want them to be. And that's not really what it's all about. Um, Yeah. Overall, like I, like I said, I really like the album. I feel like I liked it a lot more than I anticipated going into it uh, based off of the singles that I had heard out of context. Like it was just felt like it was going to be kind of just half done. Mm slow rock songs mm-hmm. and i'm glad that it wasn't that i'm glad that it was it was definitely something that got changed up for me yeah and it, it was definitely like you know being able to see the really the different things that the band is capable of doing so getting the the heavy stuff and silk and the strings along with the kind of blend of the two with songs like hurt you and even stuff where they really slowed it down 
just just having really that diversity is I think this also gives us an idea of, you know, where they are now, but trying to kind of look at where they may go in the future based off of what they've put out now or what they put out previously up to the record is we can kind of see what could potentially come forward. And who knows, they may end up just with whenever they do put out LP2 is they may completely surprise us and go who knows what direction. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what they end up going forward with. I hope just to irk you that it's literally 11 tracks of Holy Roller and Holy Roller renditions. The look on your face, I feel like, would sustain me for the rest of my life. If that happens, Gabe, <laughs> if that happens, Gabe, I'm going to get a rusty spoon. I'm going to stab you with it. <laughs> Worth it. <laughs> but that is going to do it today for our breakdown of Eternal Blue by Spearbox. And what we're going to go ahead and move into now is the hidden track in which Matt and I break down something that isn't going to be related to the album that we discussed today. Uh, Matt, what do you got for us today? So a band I was actually introduced to within the last couple of days is a Russian folk metal band. Um, the band's name is Gray, and it's G-R-A-I, hmm. um, and I'm not sure if it's Gray, Gry, or I'm not entirely sure. Gray. Gray. So the really cool thing about this band is there's a lot of the stuff that leans into the folk side more, where it's a lot more of the kind of soothing stuff that you would expect from maybe like a Lord of the Rings movie or um something that you might expect for like a D&D campaign. And then they go into their heavier material, which reminds me a little bit more of metalcore, just kind of in their riff style and stuff. Um, it's fronted by a actually two female vocalists. One of the vocalists actually does plays, I believe recorder and flute in a couple of the different songs. And the lead vocalist looks like a Russian Natalie Dormer. I don't know who that is. I'm actually surprised. She's been in a few big movies. Uh, I know she was in Game of Thrones. Never watched it. I think want to say she was in Hunger Games. Okay, I did watch that. Okay, that a while ago though. Oh, um, you continue. Yeah, no, you're good. So really, really good. I can't remember any of the songs' names. A couple of them, unfortunately, were in Russian, and though I've taken a couple of Russian lessons. Oh, this lady. Yes. Okay. So, and it, like I've taken a couple of Ru like lessons to learn Russian. I unfortunately just don't know enough to be able to translate any of the songs, but I would definitely look them up again. The spelling of it is G R A I really, really good stuff. The slower material leaning really into the folk side is really, really fun. And even the, the heavier stuff sounds really good. Listen to a couple of their songs where they actually play these songs live and they just, it's good stuff. I completely support it. Um, how about you, man? Uh, yeah, so I got two this week. Um, I'm just going to kind of continue on my never-ending saga about the new Real Friends. Because, again, <laughs> this week they released something new. Of course they did. Yeah, I I don't really understand the whole idea and design behind what they're doing but now what they've done so the the last time that i brought them up uh, which i feel like was only like a week ago or something like that, that sounds about right for um, some reason they had released an ep that contained three uh, that contained the three songs nervous wreck teeth and storyteller 
and then had a full band version of Teeth and a reimagined, which is kind of like a more straightforward EDM pop kind of sound to it, mm-hmm. of uh, Storyteller and Nervous Wreck. This week, they have released what I'm assuming is they're calling it like a full length um, called Torn in Two, which contained all three of those songs, all three of their other iterations of those songs. The new songs, Remedy for Reality and Spinning, and then reimagined versions of both of those. Um, again, it's not bad. It's generic pop punk at this mm-hmm. point. It's missing Dan Lampton, and I'm going to be sad about this forever at this yeah. point, I'm assuming. Um, but they're catchy. They're fun. So maybe next week they'll release another full length that'll just add on another song. I don't I don't even know anymore. I don't understand what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, but it's actually funny... Um, before you jump into your second one is actually just reminded me since you brought up teeth is wage war actually dropped a new song titled teeth Hmm. and that one's actually really good it reminds me a lot of first and second album era wage war as opposed to the third album which was hot garbage so it's continuing to build some of the hype for this fourth album by them I'm still hesitant going into it just because of how let down I was with album three. And I'm trying to temper my expectations with some of the albums that are coming out just to make sure that I don't end up being disappointed. I funny enough, going into the spirit box album, I had to do the same thing because I was like, what if I end up being let down, but going into this wage war song, I really didn't know what to expect. We had gotten a couple different vibes from the prior singles, but Teeth brings back again that like um, Blueprints era slash um, whatever the second album name is. I can't think of it. I can see the cover, uh, Dead Weight. And it brings back a lot of those, but it shows their ability that they've matured as musicians and kind of bring it coming back to that older sound, but still making it work. Fair enough. Uh, my second one that I wanted to bring up is uh, Sabaton released a new single. Uh, this one's going to be called Steel Commanders, featuring featuring Tina Guo. And I might be pronouncing that wrong, but she is a uh, uh, Chinese cellist uh, and adds a really mm. cool, unique uh, aspect to it. Um, it's another single that's going to be off their uh, upcoming album. I don't really remember what that one's going to be titled. I don't know if they've released a title for it yet. Uh, but in 2019, they released an album called The Great War, which is a concept album, as most of them are, about mm-hmm. uh, the First World War. And Sabaton's doing something a little unique and said, we haven't told everything that we want to about the about the First World War. We're going to do it again. So this new album that's going to be upcoming is going to be talking about the First World War again. Okay. So I'm looking forward to that. Sabaton's always just kind of been like a sleeper favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like the new single. I like the last single that they put out and I like the ones before that. So I can't wait to see what they do next. And that was the song that you and I listened to before we started recording, right? That is correct. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually for this song. Like it's, it's building some hype for the band that actually makes me want to go and sit down. And when the record drops, listen to it and actually dig into some of their older stuff, because I've honestly, from what I've heard, I haven't been disappointed. Yeah. But that is going to do it today for us, guys. We do appreciate you guys taking the time to uh, listen to us. We'd also appreciate it if you would like, comment, and rate us on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and anywhere else that you get them. You can find us on a variety of social medias. We are available on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and not Twitter because nobody has reached out to us in terms of starting beef. So get on that, yo. Uh, But that is going to be it for this week. 
and uh, we will see you guys next week with something else a little spicy we're going to be uh, the next episode we're going to be releasing is going to be regarding the uh, the new plot in you mm-hmm. uh, the new the plot in you record uh, entitled swan song and i'm really looking forward to that one yeah that one should be really interesting but we will catch you in that next episode see you later